Many years ago, when we lived in central Illinois, our daughter Megan and I, Megan's our youngest, we spent the day running errands. And our first stop was to a lawnmower repair shop where I needed to drop off our lawnmower blade for its annual sharpening. And I'll never forget, I walked into this place. I knew the mechanic well. His name was Rob. And he came in, and I was kind of bouncing and came in pretty happy. And I held up the lawnmower blade over my head, and I said, Hey, Rob, I'm back. I'm ready to have my blade sharpened. While I'm walking in, he looks at the blade, and he says out loud in front of everybody else who was there, he said, hey, you had your blade on upside down last year. I'm like, how did you know that? As my face is turning bright red. I slinked out of there, got in the car. I'm sitting next to Megan. She's next to me in the front seat, and I'm ready to debrief with her. I thought it would be safe. And so I said, Megan, I always wondered why our lawn looked all hacked up the previous spring and summer. And thinking I could just bare my soul to Megan, I said, Megan, what was I thinking? I had that on upside down all year. Why did I do that? To which Megan quickly replied, hello, you are from Wisconsin. So later that day, our daughter Lydia was home, and I was telling her what I did, and she said, well, Dad, you better have someone else install it for you this year. (laughs) Funny girls. (laughs) Well, here's the deal. In order for a lawnmower to work properly, the blade must be sharp, and it must be installed correctly. Here's our main idea today. Our mission will be accomplished when we stay sharp spiritually. Please turn in your Bibles to the last chapter of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 28. Uh, Apostle Paul and fellow prisoners and sailors had been stranded on the island of Malta. They had been there over the winter because they were shipwrecked. So Paul and the other castaways find another ship, and they continue their journey to Rome. Let's pick it up then in verse 11 of Acts chapter 28. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria, that's Egypt, with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days, and from there we made a circuit and arrived at Regium, that's like the toe of Italy, and after one day a south wind sprang up, and the second day we came to Puteoli, that's the major port for Rome. Now it's interesting here, there's a reference to twin gods with a small g, at the front of the ship, and they were there because they were, de- they were thought to provide good luck to the sailors. We even know their names, Castor and Pollux. They were thought to be the sons of Zeus. They had a constellation named after them, Gemini. They were considered a sign of good fortune after a bad storm. 
Now, obviously, the Apostle Paul paid no attention to this nonsense. And this detail may have been included to contrast pagan superstitions with the true protection believers have through God's providence. Well, this sent me on a journey in the past when I was growing up, my family used to reach out to St. Christopher before we went on long trips because Christopher was thought to be the patron saint of travel. St. Anthony was also popular in our home because he was prayed to when we lost things, and we lost things all the time. Now, let me just say we are not to pray to those who have died or put our faith in figurines. Aren't you glad we go right to Jesus, right? We don't go through a priest. We don't go through any saints. Well, I see four ways for us to stay spiritually sharp. And these all come from these last verses of Acts chapter 28. Here's the first one. Go out of your way to connect with other Christians. We see that in verse 14. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days, and so we came to Rome. That word for found means to find for yourself, to discover through inquiry. Now, many of you, if you're newer to Edgewood, you probably did a Google search for a church. (laughs) You couldn't do that back then. The Apostle Paul landed in this community and he made a search for Christians. The word brothers here means from the same womb. We have a lot in common with brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul was there for seven days with these other Christ followers, meaning he was there long enough to gather for corporate worship on a weekend. Now, after being isolated on a ship with salty sailors and hardened criminals, along with being shipwrecked on an island where they couldn't communicate with the natives, these believers longed to gather with God's people, no matter how inconvenient it was. I mean, we've seen this before. Let's go back to Acts chapter 19, verse 1. Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, Acts 21.4. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. So let's apply this to the context in which we live to our cultural context. After two years of isolation. Many of us are gathering again for worship. I received a note from one of our guests last weekend. This is what she wrote. We had been watching uh, online for a few weeks, felt it was time for an in-person visit. It's been a while since we've been to in-person. It felt very good to be amongst believers again. Two Sundays ago, an Edgewood member was home and she got a notification on her phone that the service was going live on Facebook. 
And so she said she kind of looked at her phone and kind of paid attention a little bit, was doing other things. But at the end of the service, one of our pastors got on and got up at the end and said, see you next time in person. And this is what she said. So I got ready and I came to the 1045 service that day. <laughs> She's been here the last two weeks. Would you notice how the brothers from Pudioli invited the travelers? This word conveys warmth. It conveys earnestness. It comes from two words. One means to the side of, and the other means to call. It's translated as to comfort, to exhort, to beseech. So in that spirit, if you're engaging online and you're able, and some are not able, I beseech you to come and gather with us. And perhaps you're engaging and you've been involved in another church. If it's a gospel preaching church, I exhort you to go and gather with your church. You see, we're called not to be consumers, we're called to be contributors. And the church needs you and you need the church. I read an article this week to our staff which referenced how many believers in our culture today are just floating without a church family. Many want to connect again, but have become disoriented, demotivated, and even discouraged. These two sentences stood out, quote, many have been displaced physically and relationally, uprooted from place and people. They're wandering around looking for another church to call home. Brothers and sisters, let's make the ask. Let's invite those who are disconnected. And we have an opportunity coming up next weekend with Easter. Let's make the ask. According to a LifeWay study, over 60% of unchurched people indicated that they would likely go to church on Easter if they're invited to do so. And we have invitation cards available out in the lobby. They look like this. You could grab several and, by God's grace, determine this week to hand them out to the various people you know, family members and friends. We'll have four services, Saturday night at 5, Sunday, Easter Sunday morning at 8, 9.30 and 11. Now, related to that, we also will have a full kids program for all four services Related to that, let's be ready to welcome our guests here. And so here's how that might look for us, those of us who are regular attenders. If you sense this worship center starting to fill up, if you're comfortable, move into the center of the aisles to leave some seats on the edges for our guests. If this particular service gets full, we anticipate the 9.30 will probably be the fullest. We're going to have overflow set up in our Life Center um, with comfortable chairs and with audio and video so you'll be able to engage in there. And I wonder if some of us would be willing to give up our seats in here so our guests would be able to gather for worship here. Now, verse 15 indicates some believers traveled a great distance to be together. Oh, meet me in verse 15, and the brothers there 
when they heard about us, came as far as the forum of Appius in three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. Well, that doesn't mean much to us. Like, how far away are those places? Well, one is 33 miles away and the other about 43 miles away. You think, well, that's not that far. I can jump in my car. Uh, They didn't have cars. (laughs) So that's like a one day of travel, like if you walked all day. So it could have taken two days. Now, three years earlier, the Apostle Paul had written the book of Romans, and he sent it to that area, having not visited there yet. And so I imagine these people who've been digesting the deep doctrinal truths of Romans, they now hear the Apostle Paul is arriving in Rome, and they flock to him because they want to grow in their own discipleship. And when they traveled to be with Paul, would you note, Paul gave thanks, and see the next phrase, he took courage. We often don't think of that, but the Apostle Paul found courage when he was with other believers. And I'm reminded that you and I have a responsibility to encourage, to pour courage in to one another. Check out Hebrews 3.13, but exhort one another, how often? Every day, as long as it is called today, and then we're given the why. Why do we do that? That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Meaning, if you disconnect, if you're not with other Christians, if you're not receiving encouragement and exhortation, the chances are your heart's going to get hard and you could get all up in sin. Let me say it more positively. When you and I encourage one another, we help people not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And it strikes me, some of you travel great lengths each week to gather with God's people. This week, I asked our office manager, Marie, to compile a list of communities that some of you travel from to get to Edgewood that are at least 10 miles away. So communities like 10 to 20 miles away, Andalusia, Silvis, Kelowna, Sherrard, Taylor Ridge, Preemption, LeClaire, Cleveland, Orion, Reynolds, Eldridge, Bluegrass, Matherville, Walcott. And how about those communities from 20 to 30 miles away? Long Grove, Rapid City, Princeton, Port Byron, Illinois City, Alpha, Geneseo, Hillsdale, Cordova, New Windsor, Alito. Well, how about communities more than 30 miles, 30 to 40, like Muscatine, like Atkinson, like Cambridge, like Joy, and communities over 40 miles, Delmar, New Boston, Fulton, Maquoketa, Kiwani, and Hiawatha. Now, on that Hiawatha, it's a member who's in a nursing home, but we thought we'd put it on here anyway. So you might be interested to know 80% of our members and regular attenders live in Illinois. 20% come from Iowa, and 0.001% are from Wisconsin. Our mission will be accomplished when you and I stay spiritually sharp. So are you sharp today? Or is there a dullness uh, coming over your soul? Number two, see every place you are as a platform for ministry. 
Look at verse 16. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. So Paul was a prisoner, but don't think of a prison cell like what might come to our mind. No, Paul is chained to a guard, but he has some freedom. Now that itself would seem like a bummer, but Paul saw it as a gospel opportunity. Why? Because a different guard was chained to him every six hours. And what do you think that guard heard from the Apostle Paul? He heard the gospel as those guards changed their shifts. They were literally a captive audience. And while Paul was a prisoner in Rome, he wrote at least four other New Testament letters, like letters that you love reading, penned while Paul was a prisoner in Rome. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and the book of Philemon. Now, listen to Philippians chapter 1. Here's Paul's perspective on being a prisoner. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He's so gospel-centric. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. Well, how did that happen? From the guards being chained to him. And to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul called together then the local Jewish believers, the leaders, to share the gospel with them. So they weren't believers in Jesus. They were Jewish leaders. And Paul sits down and talks to them. Verses 21 and 22, we hear their response and they're skeptical. And they said to him, we've received no letters from Judea about you. They're kind of dismissive. They're like, Paul, we don't even know about you. None of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you, but we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, well, now they're getting negative, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. Now, in case you haven't noticed, it's always been common for people to speak against Christianity. In verse 23, we see what happened now. A large group of people gathered at Paul's Airbnb. Well, you're like, what? Well, we'll read further on that Paul had to pay for his own lodgings for those two years. Let's look at verse 23. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophet. So I see six elements which made up Paul's preaching paradigm from this passage. Notice first, he preached a long time. So if you think I'm long-winded, remember Paul preached from morning to evening, okay? By the way, what a joy to watch what God is doing in our student ministry and our mainspring ministry, our young adult ministry. Here's an example. On Friday night, April 29th, they're going to be meeting from 6 at night to midnight. 
They're not meeting for games. They're not meeting for an activities. They're meeting to hear preaching for an event called Secret Church. They're going to engage in six hours of intense study of God's Word along with 50,000 other students and young adults via simulcast, and then they're going to be praying for the persecuted church. Secondly, he expounded the Scriptures. The word expound means to make plain. His idea of exposing or setting forth systematically. Well, that's our preferred practice here at Edgewood is to preach through a book of the Bible explaining each verse and applying God's word to our world today. Expository preaching, also known as expositional preaching, explains what the Bible means by what the Bible says. Now, our study in the book of Acts took three years and covered 56 sermons. Our next study is going to be called RE, R-E, and we're going to explore biblical words that begin with the first two letters, R-E. And each message will be rooted in a text of Scripture. Oh, let me just share some of those words. We'll learn the first word next weekend. Resurrection, renew, revive, repent, rebirth, rebuild, resolve, redemption, return, and reconciliation. Notice next that Paul testified to the kingdom of God. His preaching was filled with testimony about God's kingdom. Now we see that theme introduced right at the beginning of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 3, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them over 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Oh, would you note next, he worked to convince people to make a commitment. That word for convince means to persuade, to bring over. Paul preached for a response He wasn't about just conveying information, no. He wanted to see transformation. He wanted to see people interact with God's word and make a commitment, make a decision. We see this in Acts 19, verse 8 as well. He entered the synagogue, and for three months he spoke boldly, reasoning, here's the word, and persuading them about the kingdom of God. Would you also observe he centered everything in the scriptures? We read that he preached from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Undoubtedly, he exegeted the text of Moses dealing with the sacrificial system, pointing to Jesus as the final sacrifice. And when he preached the prophets, he observed and preached with urgency the prophecies about Jesus that were fulfilled by him. And note, finally, he was prepared for different responses. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. It's a good reminder for us when we're witnessing, some will believe and others will push back. The idea behind disbelieved is that they refused to believe, like as a stubborn act of their will. We see that in Acts 19, verse 9. Some became stubborn and continued in unbelief. 
It's not that they couldn't believe, it's that they wouldn't believe. Friends, God has called us as a church to reach out to our neighbors and the nations with the gospel as we strive to see our place in the world as a platform for ministry. Let's watch now and listen to a video put together that summarizes, captures what God did through our team of 10 men who just recently returned from Belize. I'm Matt Williams. I'm a member of the Belize mission trip team that just returned a week or so ago. Our team of 10 spent a week at a church called New Jerusalem in Corozal City, Belize. Our charge was to finish a pavilion. It had six 14-foot existing concrete posts, and that was it. We had to install a 24 by 38-foot concrete pad and assemble the structure for a metal roof. The pavilion is being built for our Edgewood youth and young adults so that they can go down this summer and do a VBS. So everyone on the team has some kind of experience in engineering or a building trade of some sort, but ultimately we didn't know if what we were setting out to do would actually be possible based on the availability of materials and tools. You can't really pack concrete tools, scaffolding and some of the other tools needed and travel internationally. So really, we were at the mercy of what was going to be available when we got there. God was at work the entire time we were there. Not only did the concrete and roof get accomplished, but we also dismantled a screened-in pavilion that needed it and poured footings and laid block for a pulpit at the end of the pavilion. So God worked through us to exceed the goals set. But the work, although it was the reason we went, it ended up being secondary to the people we met and came into contact with. We met and worked with neighbors, locals, and members of the church. We forged relationships with them and got to share Christ with a few of them. Amir Kar, our chaperone, a man of God, was a huge blessing to us, and Pastor Nehru and his wife Norma were gracious and loving hosts. We had to swallow a heaping spoonful of patience while we were there. Things don't happen the way they do here in the States, and they can grate on you if you're not careful. I think God helped reframe our American perspectives and grow our patience. Finally, I think the Lord was teaching us that we are not what we do, but we are who we follow. And for us, we need our identity in Christ and not our work. At the end of the day, if we got that project done and we didn't represent Christ well, it wouldn't glorify God. And ultimately, That's what we need to accomplish with his help. That helped each of us see through the work and into the people around us. I want to thank everyone who prayed for the team and gave of their resources to help complete this project. God was working in us and through us as a result. Yeah, let's give God glory for that. Yeah. I appreciate Pastor Kyle putting that video together. So our mission will be accomplished when we stay spiritually sharp. 
The third element we see is we're to focus on those who will listen. I'm in verses 25 through 28 here, and disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, now he quotes from Isaiah, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand, you will indeed see but never perceive, for this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, because the Jewish people didn't listen, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Incidentally, this passage that's quoted from the book of Isaiah is quoted six times in the New Testament to show the horrors of a hardened heart. And it was Paul's practice to go to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. We see that in the very next book. Just turn over a page in your Bibles, verse 16 of Romans chapter 1. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Well, because these Jews demonstrated spiritual dullness, Paul turned his attention upon the non-Jews, the Gentiles, who were spiritually hungry. So here's the principle for us. Look for opportunities to take the gospel to everyone And when you see someone who is open, concentrate on him or her. This week, since this is the last sermon in the book of Acts, I thought it would be interesting to go back and reread the very first sermon from Acts chapter 1. Here's part of what was preached in that sermon, quote. This was before our renovation. While we're excited about all the facility changes taking place, We need to remember grow time is all about growing our faith, growing our family, and growing our future for the glory of God. We must remain on mission by focusing outwardly, not inwardly. We need to be constantly reminded of our purpose and of God's plan to reach the world through his witnesses. And while the good news of the gospel spread throughout Jerusalem and extended to different cultures, languages, people groups, and people from every walk of life and every racial background were saved and enfolded into the ever-expanding church. At its core, Acts is a book about each of us living on mission among our neighbors and sending missionaries to the nations. And here's the last thing I said in that paragraph. Check this out. It would be great if God would call some of us to become cross-cultural missionaries through this series in the book of Acts. Friends, God is answering that prayer. There's a young woman from Edgewood who's in the process of raising up a prayer team and a financial team so she can go to Asia in January. 
Edgewood members Aaron and Amanda Langworthy were just accepted by a mission agency and planned to head to Uganda. This year at the Cross Conference, a total of seven people from Edgewood surrendered their lives to cross-cultural ministry, and five of those are in the pipeline, taking steps to go. Related to that, I read a very convicting post this week. Check out this title. When did evangelicals stop caring about missions? I can't stop thinking about one of the statistics. And I hope when I say it, you won't be able to stop thinking about it either. Quote, we spend more on Halloween costumes for our pets than we spend on evangelizing unreached people groups. Now, as I reflected on what God has taught us these past three years through our study on the book of Acts, I wrote down seven statements. Number one, we are more interested in the life change that happens in our building than with the building itself. That hit me yesterday. There were 50 people here for the work day, and down on the lower level, there were over 30 women meeting for Bible art journaling. There were uh, people practicing for Easter, puppet practice. The CR leaders were meeting uh, as well. Lots of life change taking place. Secondly, we are more interested in our sending capacity than in our seating capacity. Number three, we're more interested in making disciples who make disciples than we are in counting conversions. Number four, we're more interested in how many are serving than with how many come to a service. Number five, we're more interested in how many are following Christ, following hard after Christ, than we are with how many call themselves Christians. Number six, we're more interested in growing in Christ than we are in just knowing some facts about the Bible. And finally, we're more interested in our people living on mission with their neighbors and the nations than we are with how many members we might have. Friends, our mission will be accomplished to the extent that you and I stay spiritually sharp, which relates, finally, number four, live on mission wherever you are. Check out the last two verses in the book of Acts. He lived there two whole years at his own expense, and he welcomed all who came to him. Well, what did he do? Proclaiming the kingdom of God, teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. That word welcome means he welcomed all who came to him. It means to accept gratefully, to embrace heartily. (laughs) Simply put, Paul loved people. And he made sure he was connected to other Christians. One example of that is found in the last chapter of the book of Romans, written before he had even visited Rome. Paul lists 26 people by name. 
and he sends greetings to these people. While he's a, a prisoner in Rome, we read of Timothy, John Mark, Luke, Aristarchus, Epaphras, Demas, who came to be with him. And while he was a prisoner, he also led Philemon's runaway slave Onesimus to the Lord. Paul welcomed all who came to him because he loved people. Secondly, he proclaimed the kingdom of God. We see that theme again. The word proclaim means to announce by preaching. Number three, he taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. His passion was to teach about who Jesus is and what he came to do by focusing on his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, his being seated at the right hand of the Father, and his second coming. And he called people to trust Jesus as Savior and to surrender to him as Lord. Next, he ministered with all boldness. The word bold speaks of freedom, frankness, exactness of speech. Paul never watered down the word as he preached repentance and he preached the new birth. And finally, he didn't let anyone stop him. He didn't let anybody slow him down. Nothing was a hindrance to the gospel. I'm reminded of 2 Timothy 2.9, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal but the word of God is not bound. <laughs> I wonder, is anyone willing to help me install this today? <laughs> I didn't get any takers last night either. So, Friend, remember, our mission will be accomplished when we stay spiritually sharp. Well, let's summarize what we've learned today. Well, I hope we've learned. Actually, we learn it when we live it, right? Number one, go out of your way to connect with Christians. Now's the time to practice hospitality, to connect. Don't walk by people today when the service is over. If you don't know them, get to know them. Secondly, see every place you are this week as a platform for ministry. God, how do you want to use me where I am right now? Number three, focus on those who will listen. And finally, live on mission wherever you are. See your job, see your studies at school, see your neighborhood as your mission field.